invite you, if you have not done so already, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2. I am loving this series in 1 Thessalonians. I've never in my life spent so much time in this book, and uh, I'm really enjoying getting to know this side of Paul. I hope that you are as well. It's a very pastoral and sensitive and personal letter. When I read this week 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I was struck by the fact that the Apostle Paul was a profoundly free man. He, free, his life was marked by a deep freedom. And that is somewhat ironic because Paul was a man who was periodically run out of town. He was regularly beaten. He was occasionally shipwrecked. He was imprisoned and he was persecuted. And nonetheless, he lived a life of complete freedom. And this morning, we're going to get a little glimpse into the nature of Paul's freedom in the hopes that we will experience that freedom in our own lives as well. So I'm going to pray first, and then I'll read 1 Thessalonians, starting in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Let's pray. Holy Father, as we read these words written by Paul, inspired by you, given to the church, we recognize that we stand in a long line of faithful and godly men and women, and we don't, uh, we don't celebrate them so much as we celebrate you and the work that you did in their lives, enabling them to walk a path of faithfulness, and we, we pray that you would do the same in our lives, that you would equip us to live lives of faithfulness. Asking for that equipping is a way for us to recognize before you that we lack the ability to do that in our own strength and by our own self-discipline, and so we're asking for help. Lord, please equip us to live lives of faithfulness. Lord, please make us free, deeply and profoundly free in the sense that the Apostle Paul walked the earth as a free man. I pray that we too would experience that freedom in Christ. Amen. First Thessalonians in chapter 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority, but instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy 
righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So the first aspect of Paul's freedom is the freedom that comes from interpreting his life circumstances through the lens of faith. He interprets his circumstances through his faith rather than interpreting his faith through his circumstances. Those are similar. Those sound similar, but they're actually entirely different. When you interpret your faith through your circumstances, that means that you'll be joyful and full of faith when things are going well. But when things aren't going well, you'll be struggling and angry or depressed or bitter or saying things like, God, where, where are you when it hurts? Why are you not looking now? Why do you allow your children to suffer this way? You must not be as powerful or as good as I thought you were. On the other hand, if your faith is the foundational reality of your life, if that's the unchanging, immovable object in your life is your faith, then you will interpret your circumstances, the things that happen to you, in the light of your faith in a God who is both powerful and good. Right? So look at the way Paul interprets his circumstances in the light of his faith. His faith is the immovable object. His circumstances change, but his faith does not. Do you, you remember the introductory sermon from this series, if you heard that a few weeks ago? We looked at the story of Paul's visit to Thessalonica. It's told in the book of Acts, chapter 17. During that visit, it didn't exactly go that great for Paul. Right? He was verbally attacked. He was wrongfully accused. He was run out of town. Not only run out of town, but then chased into the next town by people who wanted him dead. That is, that is not an especially positive visit. Right? Can you imagine if you visited somewhere and that's the reception you got? Wrongfully accused? chased out of town, chased into the next town by people who want to kill you. And yet, look at Paul's assessment of that visit. He says, you know that our visit to you was not without results. Or another translation says, you know our visit to you was not in vain. Right? In other words, Paul's not focused on the negative. He's not recounting all the bad things that happened and why that makes him so angry or so bitter or whatever. He's not complaining He's not saying, well, that was a waste of time. And the only thing I got for my efforts, efforts was getting my life threatened and being chased out of town. No, he says exactly the opposite. He's celebrating. He's celebrating the fact that God is at work through the power of the gospel in the church at Thessalonica. Despite the opposition, he's celebrating. See, Jesus promised, see, we have this promise, that he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Paul believes that promise. And Paul interprets his circumstances in the light of that promise. Well, Jesus said he was going to do this, so I know he's going to do it. And as a result of that faith, he experiences freedom. There's freedom there. Knowing and believing that God is in control, that God is building his kingdom, that nothing will stop God's plan, there's real freedom in believing those things. 
I think of Paul interpreting his circumstances in the light of his faith, not the other way around. I'm reminded of a church planter that I knew back in seminary. Uh, we were all, you know, in seminary, uh, excited about what's, what's going to happen, what, what, what's it going to be like to be a pastor, what's, how's God going to use us. And Well, this guy felt called the planted church in the city of Rock, Rockford, which is, Rockford's just kind of a mid-sized city in Illinois. And um, as he was trying to plant this church, he was experiencing a lot of opposition. So he was having a hard time finding a place to meet, just kept on banging into closed doors. And then when he found a place, he had a hard time getting permits to be, to be allowed to meet there. Just a lot of weird roadblocks that he kept running into as he was trying to plant this church. Then finally, they got to the point where they were having a Saturday evening service, just trying to gauge interest and gather a core group, maybe find some people that were interested in planting this church. They're having this service. Uh, it's Saturday night, right in the middle of the service, literally right in the middle. Somebody walks in, a young man, stranger, nobody recognized him. He's all dressed in black. He comes in the back door, walks down the middle of the aisle, comes to the front, puts his hands up like this and shouts out, Satan rules! And then runs out and slams the door. Now, that, that's pretty dramatic. You, you, you might think that after experiencing those challenges, my friend might have been discouraged, but it was actually the exact opposite. He was so excited. He said to me, was, man, God must really be planning to do something special in Rockford. Otherwise, why would Satan be working overtime to oppose this new church? He was genuinely excited about the opposition that he was facing. You see, he was interpreting his circumstances in the light of his faith and not the other way around. The freedom of faith means that we believe God is at work all the time. In all circumstances, we believe that God is at work. We believe that God is able to make all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Right? And when you really believe that, that's freedom. No one can take that away from you. That is freedom. Okay, that's the first aspect of Paul's freedom, the freedom of faith. The freedom of really believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he has said he will do. That's freedom to believe that. The second aspect of Paul's freedom is on display uh, in this passage. It's the freedom of integrity. Paul is a man who has nothing to hide. You notice that? Nothing to hide. When you have nothing to hide, you're free. That's freedom. Okay, Paul says, look, Look, look at my life. Examine it. I got no, I, I, I'm an open book. Our motives were pure when we came to you. We came for good reasons, for selfless reasons. We weren't trying to trick you. We weren't trying to take advantage of you. We weren't motivated by greed. You know this. You watched us. We didn't try to flatter you. You remember how we behaved when we were with you. We worked hard. We earned our own money. We didn't take handouts from you. We didn't want your money. We didn't want to be a burden to you. We wanted to offer you the gospel free of charge. And you watched us, and you know how we conducted ourselves. It was a manner that was righteous and blameless. Now there's a man who has nothing to hide. No secrets to cover up. He's like a man, I think of him as like a man who's faithfully been doing his taxes his whole life, every year, everything is accurate. And, and, and finally he gets a message from Canada Revenue Agency, and it says he's being audited. 
And he thinks, finally, great, go ahead. Have a thorough look at all of my finances, and you'll see that I have been abiding by the law for years. I got nothing to hide. That's freedom, having nothing to hide. That's kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, look, look at the way I conducted myself when I was with you. You know, you watched. I conducted myself with integrity. Go ahead, give my life an audit. Check under the rug, check in the closet. You'll see, I got nothing to hide. That's his attitude. That's integrity. That's freedom. The opposite of that is when you do have something hidden. And you don't want anyone to see that thing you got hidden. And so now you've got to spend a lot of time and energy and effort to cover it up. Make sure nobody sees that thing. I read an article this week. It's just, I don't know, God's timing. I read an article this week about people who carry around a bad conscience throughout their adult life because they've told lies about family recipes. Any, anybody feeling a guilty conscience right now? It's the, it's the, I didn't even know this was a thing. But, but, but apparently, some people, I know nobody here does this, but some, some people, they say that a certain recipe that they like to make goes back. Like it's a family secret. And they don't give the recipe away because it's like goes back generations, back to the old world. And it's a family secret. And I'll make it and share it, but I won't give you the recipe. Well, people who have said that about recipes, but actually they got it from a website or they got it from a cookbook. That, that's apparently a thing that happens. So one of the stories they told, this woman was so, so bothered by her deception about a fake family recipe for fudge. She made a deathbed confession. <laughs> Surrounded by family, as she transitions into the next world, this is the thing <laughs> that was on her heart, that she wanted to get off her chest, that she wanted everyone to know she'd carried this secret for decades. But she finally got it out. She said, actually, that family secret, that family secret recipe for fudge, I actually got it off of the side of a jar for marshmallow fluff. Those were her final words. <laughs> now, okay, all right, that's a silly example. But you get the idea, right? When you have something to hide, you're not free, right? This woman was carrying around this marshmallow fluff jar recipe secret for decades and it was making her not free because she was carrying around a secret that she didn't want people to find out when you have something to hide you're not free it weighs on you when you walk with integrity that's freedom so let's ask ourselves well, how about you maybe it's not a recipe but do you have something that's hidden in your life now, I'm not suggesting that everyone you talk to needs to know everything about you, right? We don't want that. But there, are there any parts of your life that you're keeping hidden from everyone? No one knows about this. Why? Why are you doing that? Maybe it's because you're ashamed. Or maybe it's because you're embarrassed. Well, listen, let me tell you, that shame that's keeping you from talking, that shame is keeping you in prison. And the sooner you can bring that thing out into the light, the sooner it will die. And the sooner you can walk with the freedom of integrity, just like the Apostle Paul. Third, third freedom I see in Paul in this passage is the freedom of truth. Verse 4, 
Paul refers to himself and his fellow missionaries as being, here's the phrase, entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with the gospel. I love that phrase. The, the word gospel is all over this book, as I've pointed out already. Entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ. That was, that was actually the motto of the seminary I attended, entrusted with the gospel. Some people didn't like that motto because it sounds arrogant, they thought, as if the seminary was saying, we and we alone, we're the ones that have been entrusted by God with the gospel. No one else has it, just us. But that's not, that wasn't the point. That's not what they were saying. The point is that the good news of the gospel is not a message that was invented by someone. It's, it's, it's not something that pastors cooked up so that they could have something to talk about on a Sunday morning. It, it's not something that the Apostle Paul came up with because he was looking for a purpose in life. It is God's message. And he entrusted it to the church with the expectation that we will take good care of it. It's a responsibility. It's a stewardship. We're supposed to preserve it. It's been entrusted to us. We're not supposed to alter it. We're supposed to speak it plainly. And we, you and I, we, the church, have been entrusted with the gospel. That is a sacred trust. And what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians is, look, if you don't like this message, that's fine. That's your choice. But I want you to know it's not my message that you're rejecting. I'm the messenger, and I have been entrusted with this message by God. And I'm going to make sure that I'm a good steward of this message and that I discharge my duty by speaking it plainly and clearly. I'm not going to tailor it to what I think you want to hear. I'm just going to tell you what God entrusted to me. Right? He says, look, we're not trying to please people here. That's not our goal. We're trying to please God. That's why we didn't flatter you. That's why we didn't come here trying to say things we thought you might want to hear. We just came speaking the truth to you. See, as soon as you begin to compromise the truth in order to please others, you begin to lose your freedom. It's a freedom issue. Now, once you start compromising the truth, now you have to make sure that you remember what you said so that you don't contradict yourself in the future. And you have to start running all your sentences through a filter. Not the filter asking, is this true? That's a good filter. But the filter of asking, is this what I'm about to say, what this person I'm talking to wants to hear? That's not freedom. That's slavery, and that's not how the Apostle Paul lived. Right? You remember what Jesus said about the liberating power of truth? If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Living by the truth is freedom. Okay, fourth and last aspect of Paul's freedom is the freedom of humility. Verse 6, Paul writes, We're not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else. There's a, there's a lot of freedom there in that verse. Most people are motivated by a desire to get praise from people. Right? That's natural. It feels good. We want to be well-liked. We want to be appreciated. We want to be admired. It's fairly common for people to wrap their own self-worth into the opinions of others. But if you find your value in life based on what others think of you, then you are not free. You are enslaved to the opinions of others. 
or to use Paul's phrase, you're looking for praise from people, which is exactly what Paul made a point of not doing. Because when you idolize the opinions of others, you will feel good about yourself as long as your ratings are high and your self-worth will tank if you get some unkind or, or critical feedback. That is not freedom. Tim Keller has a, has a memorable phrase for the kind of freedom that comes from someone who's truly humble. Humble people are free people. He calls it the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. And what he means is that rather than putting myself in chains by wasting time and wasting energy, worrying about what other people think about me, true freedom means I don't spend much time thinking about myself at all because I'm so focused on loving and serving others. And that's Paul's approach here. He says, we didn't come and visit you because we were looking for praise from you. That's not what we're after. We came because we love you so much and we've been entrusted with the gospel. God has given us this gospel and we want to share this gospel gift with you. And what you think of us means very little to us. But what you think about Jesus means very much to us. And so let's keep the focus on him and get it off ourselves. That is real freedom. The freedom of humility. The freedom of self-forgetfulness. So despite all the hardship and persecution, the Apostle Paul lived a remarkably free life. And this morning we've seen four aspects of Paul's freedom. He had the freedom of faith. The freedom of faith. Faith was the immovable object of his life. And he interpreted all of his circumstances in the light of his unchanging, unwavering faith. Faith that God is good. Faith that God is powerful. Faith that God's plan will prevail. That's freedom. He had the freedom of integrity. He lived his life out in the open with nothing to hide, no skeletons in the closet. Not that he was perfect, but he was honest and he had nothing to hide. He had the freedom of truth. He was committed to speaking God's message of truth rather than his own message, rather than a compromised message designed to please others. He was committed to just speaking God's truth. That's freedom. And he had the freedom of humility. It mattered very little to Paul what other people thought of him. In fact, Paul seemed to spend very little time thinking about himself at all because he was focused on loving and blessing others. And I pray that you and I will experience that same level of freedom in our own lives. I know that that's available to us in Christ by the Spirit. So let's ask for it. Lord, I pray that you would make us free. That's a little bit of a funny prayer because I'm asking you to do something that you've already done. You have made us free. You have called us to freedom in Christ. We have heard the truth. We have believed the truth. And the truth has set us free. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning that you'd help us to walk in it, to experience the blessing of the freedom that's ours in Christ, to live in the goodness of our freedom, to not miss out on any of the blessing that you have for us. But I pray that every one of us would every day walk in the freedom that's ours in Christ Jesus. Amen.